0: Before I read, I I wonder if um, if we kind of understand what we just read, especially in that last part of um, paragraph four. They can't be saved if they profess a non-Christian religion, no matter how they may frame, frame their lives according to any other religion. And this is to be... T- Detested to say that they can, beloved. I know we all said that. And I hope we all believe it. It's very true. It's basic Christianity. I said this at Sunday school, and I, I don't want to get myself off. But it's really the basis of what we're looking at in Acts chapter 17. The reason we have evangelistic missionary endeavors. Um, I, I there is a fellow running on the Republican side of the, the ticket, who is a genius. And he has said many times in front of Christians that his religion is the same thing, essentially, as Christianity. They just use different names for gods. Um, That's not true. There's a very, very famous English professor that said something like this. Well, if there's a bad Christian, he won't go to heaven. But if there's a good Buddhist who follows the teachings of uh, mercy on Buddha, he probably will go to heaven. Let's let's be um, let, let's be Bereans, Acts seventeen. I think I'm going to read uh, one through fifteen. Hear the holy word of our holy God. When they traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying. This Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. Jason has welcomed them. They all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. When they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received received the word with great eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so therefore many of them believed along with a number of prominent Greek women and men and when the Jews of Thessalonica found out uh, found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea also they came there as well agitating and stirring up the crowds then immediately the brother sent Paul out to go as far as the sea and Silas and Timothy remained there Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they left. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, you are uh, the one true and living God and you are triune, mystery of mysteries, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one blessed Godhead forever and ever. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have mercy upon me as I desire to faithfully unpack this uh, word to your glory, to the extension of your kingdom, Jesus, and to the destruction of the kingdom of the devil. Uh, We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, there are a number of ways to take, uh, legitimate ways, to consider the passage before us. You have two places that Paul, Thessalonica and Berea. So, uh, one through eight, we could legitimately take as a standalone sermon, and then also Berea. I, I, wanted, to, um, I wanted to put them together, as I've done here, and consider uh, one of the major themes that run th- runs through both of these particular places of uh, preaching, which is to say, the doctrine of preaching. And when I say the doctrine of cre- preaching, I'm including in that evangelism, which sometimes can be specific, so the doctrine under consideration today is kind of summed in our title: is the biblical doctrine or teaching on preaching. And Paul is in particular; uh, he has a particular subject that he preaches, which he's preaching Christ. He says in First Corinthians chapter two, one through two, "I I determined to know nothing except Christ and Christ crucified." Does he teach on other things? Yes. But that, that's the foundation stone from which everything else is supportive of that. He, he's, he's preaching and teaching, Savior Christ, God come in the flesh. So we're, we're going to look at the business of preaching, preaching Christ. And then because of preaching Christ, we see two things occur. Um, the suffering of persecution, which happens both in uh, Thessalonica and then uh, later Berea, and then certainly in, even in um, Athens. So when you're faithful to preach Christ, you will open yourself up to uh, persecution from those who reject. And then also in that, we'll look at the encouragement that the preacher gets when he preaches Christ. There are some people, as we see both in uh, Thessalonica and Berea, who believe. So there's kind of what I would say, the, 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 the pleasure of serving Jesus Christ, you give the message of eternal life, and some believe they have eternal life. So it's very, very pleasurable. Then there's also the painful aspect of serving the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly in gospel ministry. That's when people reject the message of Christ as you preach, and then they're going to try to hurt you. So you have the, 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 the pleasure of serving Jesus and the pain of serving Jesus. There is a common saying, which I suppose it's a truism, no pain, no what? Pain. All right, no pain, no gain. So if if... if You want to be a Christian, Bible Christian, and a Bible Christian minister. No pain, no gain. If you say, I am unwilling to suffer pain for Christ's sake, you'll cut yourself off necessarily from the pleasure of serving Christ. Both of those things are inseparably connected. So you have the the, the pain of being persecuted, but related to that is the pleasure and the encouragement of people receiving it. So let's not shrink back from the pain of serving Jesus because it's vitally connected to the pleasure of serving Jesus. You can't have one without um, the other. I've often said, in preaching, we're looking at the business of the Christian minister and the ministry of the word. I've said this to many, many younger guys and not so young guys that say, I'm called to the ministry. And I usually say something like this, which is kind of the pain of the ministry and the pleasure of the ministry. I often say uh, Christian ministry is like watching people make sausage, it's not very pretty. But it produces something very, very good, but it's not pretty. And so you can't have one without the other. I remember reading something by R.L. Dabney that really offended me in my very first seminary class and I called my church and said, I quit. I don't want to be a minister anymore. I'm going to keep my carpet cleaning business. If this this is what it means to be a minister, I want no part of it. It offended me so badly. It was on race. And it really, really offended me. And my minister said, Don't quit. Finish off the course. Come home and we'll talk. And so I said, He said such and so. He wrote such and so. And he said to me, John, God is taking the shine off of man and putting it back on Christ. You can't be a minister if you only look for good in, in the ministry and good in other ministers. You have to be able to take the sausage-making w- with, with people receiving the gospel. Does that make sense? So the preaching, the pain of serving Jesus, but the pleasure of serving Christ. Okay. Now let me define, for my purposes, our purposes this morning, when we look at what Paul's doing and the guys who are helping him, they're preaching. Uh, preaching is not a fireside chat, but the way that I am defining preaching, two Greek words primarily used to denote is euangelizo, and Caruso. Uanglito is the word that we get our word evangelism from. It means good news. It's to be a gospel-er. You're giving out the gospel. Jesus is the evangel. He's the good news. And so to be a gospel-er is to give out the good news about Jesus. The gospel is about the person of Christ. He's fully God. He is Emmanuel. Come in the flesh. Born of the Virgin Mary. Born of her yet without any sin. He's spotless. Fully God. Fully man. And fundamentally, he is the sin-bearer. He becomes cursed that we be- could become blessed. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But within that gospel call, that euangelizo, is a call to repent of our sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be our sin-bearer. So all of those things, euangelizo, good news. That's the good news. That sinners can find forgiveness of their sins in Christ. The other word is caruso. Caruso is really what gets you at a gym. You Euangelizo will get you in a gym, too. It'll get you persecuted. But Caruso is specifically often translated preaching. And it means the authoritative public proclamation of the word of God by the herald of God. Hear ye, hear ye, thus saith the Lord. That's Caruso. So it's not the preacher's word, it's God's word, but it's authoritative and it's public. And it's the, it's the work of a herald. This goes against, the unbeliever says this to the Christian, just have your religion at the home. Just be quiet, don't tell anybody. But the herald can't do that, because he would be faithful. He's told by his king and his master, I want you to go out to the highways and the byways, and I want you to command them. So this is, it's the authoritative business that really gets the flesh and will get you persecuted. When you say, which is what the Herald is saying, authoritatively, all human beings hate authority. Everyone here in this room, our flesh hates authority. I don't care if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. Our flesh hates authority. Our flesh wants to to essentially serve self. And we want to do what's right in our own eyes. So here comes the Herald. You must repent, John the Baptist. Did you just tell me I must do something? Yes, you must. And you must believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. You must. What happens to our flesh when we hear that? This is the herald. Are you asking me, would I like to do this? Or are you commanding me? It's a command. It's a command. No one likes to be told what to believe. No one likes to be told what to believe and to do. But that's what the whole Bible is. And this is what the herald is. He's just a fancy distributor of the Bible. The Bible is a book, God's book, to man, about what God requires us, requires to believe about him. So when I was in AA and, you know, the God of your own understanding, you can throw that nonsense out the window. I don't care about the God of your own understanding, unless it's what he says. God commands us to believe this. God commands us to do that. So you can see why the business of preaching can be kind of dicey. Believe in Christ? Repent of my sins and I'll be saved? Don't repent? And I get a Confession of Faith, chapter 10, verse 4? It's pernicious and you're not saved? I don't like that. Remember Jeremiah? They called him what kind of prophet? Weeping. God said to to his prophet, don't be afraid of the people. They're going to abuse the living stuffing out of you because you're going to be faithful. The more faithful you are, the more you're going to be hated. This is Isaiah. Remember people, I don't know, and they have like teenage preaching class when they have an eight-year-old kid stand up and preach. I have my thoughts on that. But then he'll usually preach Isaiah 6. Here I am, Lord, send me. That's why you don't have an eight-year-old preaching. He needs to sit down, and you need to get a real teacher to teach you. That, that's not an evangelism passage. That's a judgment passage. Read chapter 6 towards the end, 8, 9, 10. God says to to Isaiah, no one's going to listen to you. I'm sending you for judgment. And then Isaiah speaks back to God. So what? I'll save a tenth. I'll save a stump. But the word is judgment. So there's going to be boatloads that are going to hate you and persecute you, but there will be some that believe. So the persecution by the faithful preacher, against the faithful preacher, but then the encouragement. Does that make sense? So these are the things that the Apostle Paul and his guys are out doing. Now, I butcher the names. I cannot. I, uh, there is a, an elder in the Tallahassee Church. Man, this guy, he pronounced it like you thought he just wrote it. He could fly through these names, even in all the hard Hebrew names. And I used to think, I wonder if that's really how it sounds, or he just makes it sound that good. I can't. I can't even say Peter and Paul and make it sound right. So we have... Uh, all of the various places that the guys have been off evangelizing, preaching, um, God puts these names here to show us the purpose of their evangelism, why these guys are out preaching, why they're out telling people about Jesus. And they're evangelizing the lost. Now, I, I, you know, do we even use these phrases anymore? Do we use the the phrase the lost? You are a lost sinner. Or like, well, well, we're not Baptist, John. We're Presbyterian. I'm a Presbyterian. The lost sinner. I was a Baptist for a while. The lost sinner. I wanted to be a Pentecostal. The lost sinner. I believe the modern church of any stripe needs to recapture the idea of lost sinners. People apart from Jesus that don't know Jesus, that English professor, who you probably have his books at, his house, at your house, who said the good Buddhist is going to wake up and find out that he was really worshipping Jesus, is wrong. It's called the doctrine of the anonymous Christian. That is wrong. That's not orthodox Christianity. If you don't know Jesus, you're lost in your sin. And the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 36, if you are lost in your sin, you're under the what of God? Say, say the word. Wrath. Wrath. So the guys are out telling people about Jesus because they're lost. And they're lost under the wrath of God. God is a, a holy, righteous God. He is offended with their sin. His eyes are too pure to look upon sin with any kind of favor. And he sends out the gospelers that they could be found, that they could be unlost, that they could be forgiven. That's the reason. Once you, once you don't understand, you mean lost, lost, lost. Do, here's my question, beloved. Do you believe non-Christians, people of other religions, they are lost in their sin? Do you believe that you can be a good Hindu, a good Buddhist, a good Muslim, a good whatever and still go to heaven? Do you believe that? Do you believe they're lost? Now here's another question. Do you believe or are you inclined to believe that there are great numbers of professing Christians that don't know Christ savingly? They're preaching to Jews. Most of the Jews... They made up their own Christ. They had a Bible. They couldn't find Christ in the Bible. He, uh, Romans 9, Romans chapter 10, they were trusting in their own righteousness. Can you meet Christians that don't have? We sang two beautiful hymns, John Newton, Charles Wesley. On the blood, on the forgiveness of our sins, the swaging of God's wrath by Christ. You meet tons of professing Christians. They don't have any idea. But I'm a Christian. Are you saying I'm not a Christian? I'm not picking on anybody. Do you believe that people that don't know Christ savingly are lost in their sins? Are lost. And do you believe the only answer for their lostness is Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? Um, do you really believe it? And I'm going to say this because this is what we're looking at thematically. This is why Paul does what he does. This is why Paul takes a beating everywhere he goes. He really believes it. To the extent that we believe that people that do not know Jesus are lost in their sins and only Christ and their reception of him can save them will become, to the extent that we really believe that, we will be active with the gospel talent, which is what these guys are doing. Now, I'm going to say something as well. To the extent that we don't really believe that, we can say we believe in a church. Oh, I totally believe. Oh, look, it, I've, I've written Bible all week long. I've got Bible paper cuts on my fingers. To the extent that we don't believe that, what do we do with the gospel talent? We bury it in the sand. So the guy that, who's running for president, who says Hinduism and Christianity teach the same thing, how many Christians are going to vote for that guy? He's running on a religious platform. Yeah, same thing. No, 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 no. No. I'm not picking on him. But I'm preaching to Christians. Christ. Or you're lost. And so, one of the ways that we bury the gospel talent is we just get super busy with the world. That's how most guys do it. i got to go to work and then just no gospel talent. Another way that people get busy... That, that deny the gospel talent and thus the gospel witness is they get busy with the church but not with Christ George Whitfield is one of my favorite guys he said most he writes in 1700s what's being preached in most churches he calls mere heathen morality or Machen called it Christless morality be good what I heard my whole life God is good he wants you to be good amen have the Eucharist be good That is Christless, heathenish morality. And Whitfield says, and they're not preaching Christ. Look at what Paul's preaching. He's preaching Christ because he believes. So we do need to recapture why the guys evangelize, why we are to evangelize, because the Bible says that apart from Jesus, you're lost. We're not picking on anybody, we were lost but now we're found in uh, Christ. And so he records the places for us to drive us back to the purpose uh, of evangelism. Most recently, he's been in Philippi. Paul and the guys have been in Philippi. It was part of Paul's ordinary custom, not only to go to synagogues, we'll look at, but he goes to a leading city. We've talked about this before. And one of the reasons that he goes to a leading, city, a leading city whenever he's traveling around in his missionary endeavors is he's looking for people. He's looking for people. And the reason he's looking for people is because the evangelist, the preacher, is a fisher of men. That's what Jesus has called ministers to be. So I am kind of constitutionally a loner, but by calling, I'm not to be a loner. I'm to be with people. Why? Because this is a people enterprise. You need sinners and then saints to minister Christ to because that's the program. Jesus says of his ministers, I will make you fishers of men. So I will say this by way of application. As much as I would love to live in a commune, I would love to live in a commune, a pretty commune, in the, maybe on Cape Cod. I would like a commune on Cape Cod or Switzerland. And so we'd eat at Thompson's Clam Bar, I want a nice commune. Communes are not biblical. Monasteries and nunneries are not biblical. They're antithetical to to the calling of Jesus. They're antithetical to Christ. Read the high priestly prayer in John 17. God the Father did not say, stay up in heaven where there are no lousy sinners. He sent him to messy sinners to seek it to save messy sinners. So the work of the Christian is to be around messy sinners so that we can minister Jesus to them, right? We can, there's a place in the Bible that talks about, um, is it Habakkuk, that talks about clean stalls. If you're a farmer, do you want a, a stall that's clean? Do you want a clean stall if you're a, a farmer? No. Why? Because you're broke. You want a cow. You want a stinking pig. You want some, you want some stuff that's going to make that stall messy there is a desire within Christians to make our lives antiseptically clean. I'm only going to be around the super perfect OPC perfect. Are you kidding me? No. No. Don't pray that. That's wrong. Ask God to send you really, really, really messy sinners. And if you can't find any, go shave your face in the mirror. So, So, you want messy sinners. And you want messy saints. So that you can minister Jesus to them. Does that make sense? Again, the desire to be off on the commune, reading a book, smoking a pipe with the patches on her—I get that. I have that, but that's not the calling. The calling is to be around people, to tell them about Christ saving sinners. That's what's going on. We have a couple. Of, we have five places mentioned here in our text. Two that I completely butchered: in Amphibolis and Apollonia. These are places that we're not told that Paul ministered there. So it looks like he didn't do his preaching ministry. He actually just traveled through these two places to get to Thessalonica and then Berea and then Athens. Now, we don't see him preaching in these two places. Earlier, we didn't talk about this in Acts 16, verses 6 and 7, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus prohibited, listen to this, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus prohibited Paul and the guys from preaching, evangelizing a certain segment of Asia at that time. It doesn't look like these two places are getting the gospel. Beloved, I'm going to tell you something you already know. People that don't love Christ love it when the minister of Christ doesn't preach Christ. They they will pay you big money. Unbelievers will pay a false minister big money if you will just not tell them about Jesus and sin and holiness in heaven, just tell me my best life now and we'll pay you scats. Best life now. And behind the false person not wanting the preacher to preach Christ is the devil. This is a John eight forty four. Jesus says it. Jesus looked at a bunch of Jews and said, you know what? The reason you don't love me is because... God's not your father. The devil's your father. The devil does not want his slaves to hear the one that liberates slaves. These guys don't get the... In in these two places, the guys just walk through. I want you to put yourself in in these places. the unbelieving, right, the unbelieving in America, this is what they want. They want to destroy the church and kill all Christians and throw the books, the Bibles, and throw them in the fire. That's what they really want. They're never going to get it because there's always going to be a church up on the earth to worship the Lord God, always. But that they think they want that. If our poor country could eradicate all Christian gospel witness the way that the unbelieving want, what would happen to our country? It would look like hell on earth would look like hell on earth. It's the, it's the, the thing they, 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 they do not really want. They do want it. The Bible says to be apart from the gospel. To have no gospel. It's a Gentile. This is in Ephesians 2 11 through 21. It's to be strangers to the covenant of grace, strangers to the promises of God's salvation, to be in the world. You know what the next phrase is? To be without hope. Oh, I don't want a Bible. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, I don't want any Christians. Oh, yes, you do. I don't want a church. Oh, yes, you do. This is what it means to lose heaven. These two, these two places could say, awesome, we don't get those pain in the neck Christian evangelists around here. Back to our pagan religions. Were those religions saving? That, that's what it means to lose heaven. No Bible, no Christ, no heaven. So th- th- this is a picture of God's judgment. When God takes the gospel away from a land, that is the picture of the worst judgment of God on a people. It leaves them in their sin. Have your false religion. Have your sin. Because it's not saving. Why is it not saving? Because they don't have Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? So when we look at these, these two places where they don't preach, don't say, wow, they dodged the bullet. Those pain in the necks. We see the guys all the time on the corner on Fridays and, on, and Saturday. They've got some boldness. They've got some boldness. I always give them a thumbs up. My wife yells at me. Thumbs up. You have a Bible verse. I wish you'd throw some more Jesus Bible verses in there, but thumbs up. Thumbs up. You take away the gospel. Take away the witness of of Christ. You're left in your sin. The Bible says to, to, to people, you've missed the day of your visitation. You think the kingdom of God can't be taken away? Read Matthew 21. Jesus says to the Jews, I'm going to give it to the Gentiles. You don't want it? I'm going to give it to them. So these places don't get it. We ought to pray for the ministry. We ought to pray for seminaries. We ought to pray for the churches. We ought to pray that God does not take away uh, the gospel from our land. And then we have the places of the evangelism. And here Thessalonica and then Berea. Philippi is in the upper, what is it, uh, northeastern corner of Macedonia, region of, of uh, Roman colony. 100 miles southwest is Thessalonica. 50 miles southwest of that is Berea. Um, let's see, Thessalonica um, was a port city, major city, important for trade and for, uh, um, for travel. And so that's why they go there. And then Berea is in uh, a mountain range very near Mount Olympus. What false god lived on Mount Olympus? Actually, 12 false gods did. But who was the king of the false gods in Greek myth? Zeus. Here's what's going on. I love this. This is, what is it, Isaiah 9. The people living in Gentile darkness are about to see what? Zeus is not the the king of the gods. Who is the king of kings and lord of lords? Jesus Christ. And they're going to see him. And they're going to hear him. How? In the preaching, in the evangelism. So don't say, well, can't we just let those people have their false pagan gods? If you don't love them, if you don't love Christ. But if you love Christ and you love them, you tell them that their way is not saving in meat, not Zeus, a false God, but meet the true and the living God. He's evangelizing in Thessalonica. As was common with him, he would go to the Jew first, which is a biblical principle, Romans 1, Romans 2. Jesus did it, so he does it. There's another reason why he goes to the Jew first. Why did Paul go to the Jew first? Why? He's a Jew. I quote this all the time. This is a Galatians chapter 3 and a Romans chapter, uh, Revelation 5, 9. In Christ, ontologically, before God, even Stephen. No male, female, female, no free slave ontologically salvifically but still as far as earthly distinctives god doesn't erase those the moment i became a christian i didn't instantly not become a yankee i'm always a yankee i'll probably die a yankee right probably can yankees not become yankees so I, I am but my point with that is this the apostle paul retains his natural affections for the people that he was born to and with God gave you a specific mom and dad. God gave you a particular sister and brother. God gave you a particular family. God puts you among a particular people. And because of that, you have a natural love for them. Who did Andrew go get when he first found Jesus? Peter, or Peter and Andrew, and Philip and Nathaniel. You go find the people you love the most to tell them about the gospel of love. That's what's going on. When we're converted... God uses those natural relationships to prosper the gospel. This is why ordinarily when you become born again, the first people you tell about Jesus are the people in your family. And then you're going to find what we're finding. Persecution and encouragement. Which is what happens here. So think, think of that. And, and now we see he's evangelizing the Jews. Earlier... He was a persecutor of Christians back in Romans, uh, Acts 8. He becomes a Christian in Acts 9. And the very first thing Paul does is he goes to his former pals. He says, hey, I know that Jesus is the Christ. Now remember, he was buddies with them. He was one of them. Did they say, you know, Paul, you went to seminary with me? We've ministered in the synagogue together. I'll give you a good hearing. Did they say that? Oh, no. What did they say? We're going to kill you and look at what he's doing again he's back at it. they physically are trying to kill him and he's back evangelizing the Jews what we're looking at here in my opinion is an absolutely uh, amazing display of faith and perseverance in the gospel work I want to say this um How many Christians do you know that have fallen away from the faith? Do you know of any Christians, people that used to profess Jesus, they went to church, they read the Bible, they said they prayed, and now they've fallen away from Christ? Because it's hard following Christ. And guess what? Not only is it hard following Christ, it's way easy following sin. You get to do what you want. There's no rules. How many Christians do you know How many ministers do you think start ministry thinking like this? You know what? I'll probably get into this sweet gig and I'll quit within an hour and a half because it's so sweet and easy. No. No. How many of them get in and find out, you know what? This is way hard. It's way easier to do something else. How many? Tons. Tons. Mike Tyson. I don't often quote Mike Tyson from the pulpit. Mike Tyson who's a former boxer, in my opinion, one of the best heavyweights in the world. Not that I watch boxing all the time, but I watch boxing all the time. Mike Tyson said this, everybody has a plan until, you know what the phrase is? They get punched in the mouth. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Everyone thinks, you know, if I were a Christian, you know what I'm going to do when I'm a Christian? I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. What? gone. The minister. I would always be faithful to Jesus. I would always tell the people of God what's what. Gone. Beloved, being a faithful Christian, being a faithful minister of Christ requires faith, but it, it requires courage. It requires conviction. It requires diligence. It requires endurance. And I'm not talking you can, true believers can lose their salvation. They can't. But the church is filled with former Christians, former pastors. Way too hard. Look at the Apostle Paul. He's like a laser beam. They try to kill him. He goes back again. They try to kill him. He goes back again. Because the thing that moves the Apostle Paul is not how they treat him. What's driving the Apostle Paul? Love for Christ, and a passion for souls. He is a man. He is a man on a mission. And we praise God for that. We need to be Christians on missions. I will say this. When the hard times come, when it's either infidelity to Christ or fidelity to Christ, but to be faithful to Christ means suffering, will we suffer? Will are we? I'll give you a little bit of marriage counseling. If you're not married and you're fixing to get married, you need to know that getting into this marriage business can be rough plowing. And what will you say when you hit a rough patch, you're, you're gone? No. No. Jesus Christ, forgive me. Jesus Christ, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. That's what's going on here. Christianity could be rough business. And, and so that's what we see here. And look at what he's preaching to these folks. What's he preaching? Bible. He's preaching Bible. You, you hear this all the time. Well, you know, can you go to Books a Million? Or I don't know, Cups of, Cup of Joe, wherever the other store is. Can you do some other book? No, we do Bible. Well, can you be more relevant? I am being super relevant. You're a sinner and you need Jesus. Let's have some Bible. Right? How many Christians ministers supposedly get into the, the, the pulpit, they don't even have a Bible? I watched a young man come in for OPC ordination, a licensure, excuse me, and he, he preached his sermon, then he took his Bible and he stuck it under the lectern. And then he had his written notes. So afterwards we're supposed to say, "Hey, brother, I don't know, maybe do this." And I almost never say anything. And I raise my hands, I'm like, "You stuck your Bible under the lectern." That is a bad look. Bible. They preach the word, because later they're going to berea, they're going to fact-check him. Where is that in the Bible, right there? Where's that in the Bible, right there? If you go to church here, thank you for going to church here. If you go to church somewhere else and they walk in and it's not Bible, here's my advice to you. Run, 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 run. Come back. I'll save some seats for you. (laughs) But it's Bible. Am I right with that? The Bible is the what according to God. It's the word of God. And it's the, the gospel which is part of the word of God is the power of God unto what? Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 1. The power of God unto salvation. Remember how I said, do you believe lost? Do you believe Christ only finds? Do you believe the Bible is the word of God? Do you believe the word of God has power? I've said this story before. Spurgeon said to some young dejected minister, it's like, it's not working. My ministry's not working. And Spurgeon said something like this. Well, you don't believe like the Bible is like the word of God that has power and it will convert people. You don't believe. And he set him up like that. And the guy said, yeah, I guess I don't. And he said, That's why. You don't believe it. You don't believe the word of God has power. You don't believe the gospel has power. But Paul did. And he's off preaching. And notice what he preaches. He's preaching Christ from the Bible. Now, I I want you to see something. When he's preaching to the Jews, he's preaching to the Jews from the Bible should they have believed Paul. Romans 3, 1 through 3. They had the oracles of God. Jesus is the the Savior or the Messiah of what group? The Jews. The Jews. He came to his own and his own knew him not. Of all the people on the planet, they should have said, awesome, awesome. The promise has been fulfilled. The virgin, Isaiah 7, has had a child. He's come. He's here. They had Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. They had Psalm 22 and Psalm 69. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's preaching Christ. And and here's the application. Two people in the visible household are fatal. Well, is that obnoxious? Would it be obnoxious to, to tell Christians about Jesus from the Bible? No. He's telling Jews about Jesus from the Bible, and they should have found Jesus in the Bible, but they didn't. What does that mean? They have no faith that means they had a false messiah. I just watched Ben Shapiro tell another guy, you guys say the messiah is this, we say the messiah is a political messiah. You're wrong. You're a modern day Pharisee. Jesus is not this political king designed to give you an earthly utopia. That was the problem. He's living example of that. Did Jesus come to give an earthly utopia? No, he didn't. He says to Pontius Pilate, I'm a king, but my kingdom is not of this earth. I came to die and to save sinners with my blood, the cross. What's that song? Nothing but the blood. Go ahead, finish it. Nothing but the blood can make me what? White as snow. He preaches the cross to a bunch of Jews that should have known the cross. Brother, this is why Christian ministers, they need to have spines of kryptonite. How many Christians don't know what the cross is all about? How many Christians, just like the Jews, try to develop their own righteousness? The church of my youth, they have a doctrine called the treasury of merit. The church of my youth. You merit. You do more than the law of God requires. This is not possible. This is not possible. And so when you do more than the law requires, it goes into this pot of merit that gives given out in dispensations. And so when you're a schnook and you need more righteousness, you get it from St. Hudson Frutz. Paul comes preaching Christ. It's the blood of Christ. Beloved, not everybody in the church is in Christ. Most of the people don't know. Most of the people are talk to Christians. I talk to them all the time. What are you trusting in? I'm a good person. You're a good person. No, you're not. You're a scallywag just like me. You're not saying Jesus is the only way. That's exactly what I'm saying. And they don't get it. And Paul comes preaching. And they're trusting in their own righteousness. But here's the great thing about Paul. He was, a, he was a legalist par excellence. And he says, it's garbage. It's garbage. You're not saved from your law breaking by your law keeping. He doesn't throw you back on the law. He throws you back on Christ. And we see some of the folks believe. And how do they believe? This is a Lydia. God opens their hearts to believe. And the, the great thing is, we don't know who they are. We, we Wherever Jesus sends us, we're scattering Jesus wherever we go. Jesus saves sinners. Believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. It's the Holy Spirit's business who receives and believes. And so some receive in Thessalonica. The other ones that don't believe, they run them off to Berea. This is what the devil doesn't understand. When you're trying to stomp out the Christian witness, the gospel witness, what you mean for evil, God is going to turn it on for good. So this is a James 1.1. 1, 1. We are called the diaspora, the scattered, which is what that word means. Everywhere, this is an Acts 8 and an Acts 9. Everywhere you would run off a Christian to, particularly a minister, let me tell you about Jesus. This was a George Whitfield. God forbid that I should walk 15 minutes with a man and not tell him about my Christ. Am I saying that if you're a bricklayer, you need to follow the same? No, but it's a pretty good idea, but you don't have the same calling per se, but the minister. What would you say of a preacher that wouldn't preach? He's a mute watchdog. If you have a mute watchdog, what's going to happen? You're not going to have any sheep. Get another dog. So here he is out telling Jesus, he goes and he gets run off to Berea. First he travels 100 miles down from Philippi. This is why I think everybody was real thin. He gets chased 100 miles from Philippi to Thessalonica, 45, 50 miles over to Berea, and he goes. Now, in Berea, he's back at the Jews again. You cannot move the Apostle Paul off his task of preaching Christ with a two-by-four. Now, I don't often quote church tradition, but I'm going to quote church tradition here. Church tradition says, it could be right or wrong, that, that the Apostle Paul was a tiny guy. They say somewhere from four foot nine to like just under five feet tall. So he's a tiny, tiny guy. He may be to use the language of the kiddie song, a wee little man like Zacchaeus. He may be a wee little man in physical structure. He is a spiritual giant. Look at him. He does not care for his own safety. He only cares f- for serving Jesus and, and to seek and to save the lost for Christ's sake. I mentioned Whitfield a couple of times. He's one of my favorite guys as well. You know what Whitfield was called by his enemies? Dr. Squintum. Dr. Squintum. He had an eye problem. I think Paul had an eye problem too. But Whitfield had an eye problem. If you look at some of the paintings, you'll see them. They'll actually paint the eye problem in there. You'll see it if you can see it. Um, so they called him Dr. Squintum because he would have to squint to see straight. He's the great, in my opinion, next to the Apostle Paul, George Whitfield is the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. I don't think anybody preached to more people than 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 Whitfield. He's a rock star. God takes a wee little man and Dr. Squintum, and what does he do? He does great things. People think, oh, I need to be like this, and I need to be rich, and I need to be this. Oh, no. No, no, no. no. God takes the weak, puny, little, I don't know, walking like, God takes everybody that we look like, the broken whatever. Now I'm going to use you to tell them about Christ. Why does he do that? To get all the glory. Paul says, "I have this glorious gospel, this broken little body of mine." That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And something happens in Berea that as a minister, if I was not a Presbyterian, I would be doing, I would be jumping up and down. This is every real gospel preacher, every preacher wants what happened to Paul to happen here. He's back at the Jews. He's telling them about Jesus from the Bible. He's proven from the Bible. This is Jesus, Isaiah. He's flying around the Bible. And what are they doing? And what is he doing? Yes, yes, yes. They're fact-checking him. These guys are fact-checking a man that has been inspired by God the Holy Spirit to write 13 or 14 of the New Testament epistles out of 27, so half the New Testament. They fact-check him. They fact-check a guy that receives his revelation from the risen Lord Jesus Christ himself. They fact-check him. And what does Paul do? Awesome. This is exactly what I want you to do. They search the scriptures uh, as an application. Beware, beloved. I, not the, If you want to call yourself reverend, whatever. Beware of ministers. How dare you? How dare you test me? How dare you fact-check me? I I went to seminary for a whole week and a half online. How dare dare you? Beloved, you better fact-check them. This is one of the principles of the Protestant Reformation. We hold to the liberty of conscience, religious liberty. We have a whole chapter in our confession. Sola Scriptura. I was trained by an old man in the faith, an old Reformed Baptist, He would say to me, Jack, will you submit to the word of God? Yes, but you're wrong. Good. Will you submit to the word of God? Yes. I want you to do it. Is this Bible? Is he preaching Christ? He's preaching Christ. Is he preaching the cross? He's preaching the cross. Why? Otherwise, we're trusting our eternal soul on man. On man. And a faithful minister does not want that. Beware of the guy that can... Now, we can be donkeys you said Peter instead of Paul, and you shouldn't even be, oh, if I do that, just have mercy on me. It means I didn't sleep good last night. But a faithful man wants the people of God, and notice what they do. It's not like, oh, Bible. I I had my wife read the Bible to me for two minutes this morning. They search the scriptures. If I told you, God forbid, that you had some horrible disease, but there's some answer online for your horrible disease, what would you do? Oh, I got stuff to do. I don't know. Maybe I'll cut the grass. No, you're like this. God will show you in the Bible a Christ who will forgive you of your sins and take you to heaven, and it's in the Bible. And they searched daily. Beloved, I'm going to say this, and I promise I'll be quiet. If you're a believer, you found Christ, and he's found you to find him. Because you find him in the Bible God reveals himself as creator In in nature But God only reveals himself As savior in the scriptures In If you search the scriptures In faith You will find him And God the Holy Spirit Begets us in Christ Through the instrumentality Of the word Faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of Christ. Let's be Bereans, beloved. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.